third week of Philippians, and today we're going to be doing uh, chapter three. This is the first one that we're actually splitting in half. So I'm doing one to 11, and then soon uh, two weeks' time, because we've got an amazing uh, Father's Day service next week. Please come to that. Please bring people to that. But um, two weeks' time, Sue is going to be looking at the second half of Philippians chapter 3. And I think she's a bit worried that when you split a chapter, that I'm going to go into all her bits and take all the good bits. Now, at the very end, I'm going to spend 30 seconds in her chapter, in her bit, but we're not going to tell her, are we? Okay, so, um, and if she's listening to this on the podcast, then it's all an illusion. Uh, But Philippians 3, 1 to 11 is on the screen, but please, if you've got your Bibles or your apps or whatever with you, please follow there because remember, the Bible is in different versions. Now, this version might not be the one that you read, so it might be good for you to go, oh, this is the one I read, and sometimes go, well, how do the different things, the different words, how do they relate to me? So Philippians 3, 1 to 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to stop that straight away. Because this is one of the themes of Philippians, rejoice. And he then says, is no trouble me for the right, the same things to you again. And Paul says this over and over again in Philippians. You might not realise, but sometimes Paul is quite funny. And for the Philippians then, what we're told is when they hear this being repeated, some people, a bit like when... um, A comedian is telling something that they're repeating. Actually, some people would have laughed. Some people might have gone, oh, here it is again. Because actually, repetition is really good to help us remember things. Because sometimes we don't, even though you're focused on me now, you're not focused on my shirt, you're focused on my words. Actually, repetition is really helpful. And one of the things that Paul really wants to tell them is rejoice. The Philippians book is written in a fatherly way. There are some things where Paul is sorting out some business, rebuking, sorting things out. But actually, it's a very encouraging letter to Philippians. And remember, 2,000 years later, encouraging to us. So when he's saying rejoice and he's reminding us, sometimes we need a reminder, don't we? Sometimes we struggle to rejoice. Sometimes our brain might be rejoicing, but our mouths and faces aren't. I won't say if that's the case today. You're looking lovely. But in life, it's sometimes we need that reminder, don't we, rejoice. Remember that old chorus, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Oh, did you not do the two claps there? Should we do that there? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Now then, it's one of my favorites because it can go into a round. Don't worry, we're not going to do that. I really had to concentrate then on the words because when I was um, growing up, we had a girl in our group called Pam. 
Pam was brilliant, but we discovered Pam Wilmore, her middle name was Joyce. So actually, the, uh, the youth of the church, whenever we sung that, used to sing, it's Joyce, it's Joyce, Pam's middle name is Joyce, which fits very well. But I really had to concentrate today to make sure I didn't sing that. And we had to sing it loud enough to feel we were bold, but not too loud that we'd get the stare from my mom from the front where she was playing the viola. So if you ever hear that song again, sorry if I've ruined it, you're there, but rejoice that's what Paul is saying and reminding us. And that's not really our focus today, but it's always good to be reminded, isn't it? So further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for these dogs, these evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church... As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul's giving his credentials here. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead." One of the oldest preacher um, illustrations goes something like this. There's different versions, but here's the one I found. A Sunday school teacher wanted to use squirrels and his example of prepared workers. She started the lesson by saying, I'm going to describe something and I want you to raise your hand when you know what it is. The children were excited to know what it was and to show that they get the answer and they leaned forward eagerly. I'm thinking of something that lives in trees and eats nuts. No hands went up. It can be grey or red and it has a long bushy tail. The children looked around the room at each other but still no one raised a hand. It chatters, sometimes flips its tail when it's excited. Finally, one boy shyly raised his hand. The teacher breathed a sigh of relief and said, OK, Michael, what do you think it is? Well, said the boy, it sure sounds like a squirrel, but I'll bet it'll turn out to be Jesus. Because <laughs> in school, Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus, isn't it? Now, my friend Pete Wright and my friend Vicky Blackwood, as some of you might know both of them, Vicky, um, she was a Sunday school teacher at Eve Lane, and she was sort of saying the similar thing. So um, Pete was about four or five mid-80s at the time, and she said, who loves you? Who loves you, Pete? And you would there, using that reasoning, ex expect the answer, Jesus, wouldn't you? 
The answer he gave very enthusiastically was He-Man. <laughs> and actually was then very disturbed when so no, the answer's Jesus. And so a lot of argument went on about how much He-Man loved him as well. So there we go. So today it is all about knowing Jesus. That is, if I had to say in one, what today is about. It's all about knowing Jesus. We're looking at this letter was written AD 62, so quite a while away. And Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians while in prison, probably in Rome. And Philippi, as we've heard with some of the context that Rachel gave us in the first week, it's there, it's a Roman colony, and it was actually the site of a key military victory by Augustus Caesar. And Philippi was the first city in present-day Europe where Paul established a church. And Paul encourages the Philippians to live as citizens of a heavenly city, growing in their commitment to serve God and one another. And that Jesus is the supreme example of the way of life. And looking at some of those uh, people who, were, who are being a good example in, in the book as well. Mentioning those and trying to sort out a few squabbles as well. As I say, he wrote to them from prison. And actually, and we'll say this a little later as well, when Paul visited Philippi, he was thrown into prison. In Acts, you can read through that in Acts 16. And he was thrown into prison there because of uh, casting out demons from a servant girl and then ruining profit. So then they were like, we don't like this. He was thrown into prison and miraculous things happened. But what he wanted to do from prison is encourage them in their faith to assure them that he was still in good spirits and thank them for their continued support. Now, so far, we've looked at the idea of making spiritual progress. That's one of the big themes in Philippians. And our spiritual outlook, getting that right, about how Christ is the supreme example for the Christian. But also, we as mature Christians can serve as a role model. And as we said just at the very start, suffering will come, but Christians can still be joyful. But as we look at chapter 3, let's see how it shows us about how keeping the law cannot just provide a right standing with God. Believers are saved only through their faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, it is all about knowing Jesus. Now, as we start looking into uh, Philippians 3, um, we were commenting as the teaching team the other week that whenever we do studies on the books of the New Testament, and often it's very much like who feels they've got something on this chapter. Occasionally it's who's actually here that week, but usually it's about that there's something you've got to say. But however it's done, I always seem to get the passages on circumcision. <laughs> Just seems to happen. And circumcision is mentioned here, and you can see here where it's saying there that circumcision was scriptural. Those who were Jewish knew of it, and those who were non-Jews, they would have known as well. That was something very different, and it was in the Old Testament, that was a way of knowing who was Jewish and who wasn't. And those who were non-Jews, and remember in a Roman colony here, were trying to discover and understand 
what we now know as the Old Testament. They were discovering the scriptures. Because remember, Jesus came, he came and said he came to fulfill those scriptures. So what's the issue? Well, as well as the scriptural writings, such as the letter for Philipp- to the Philippians, huge work was being done to explain what Christianity was and wasn't. We hear a lot today about fake news, don't we? So you can have one piece of news. Some people say, oh, that's really important. Other people say it's fake. And sometimes I like reading different types of newspaper, sometimes the left and the right. And you can have the same story, and it's like, the government is the most amazing thing ever. Aren't they brilliant? Hurrah. And then the same story in another newspaper, the government are on the rocks. And you're like, what do I believe? What do I understand? And what they're trying to do, the apostles and teachers, is trying to say, this is what you actually are meant to believe. This is what you're actually meant to follow. It was to explain what Jewish tradition was fulfilled in Jesus, but also what now was substituted by him. What you didn't need to do because of what Jesus did by dying on the cross for the sins, the wrong things that we do think and say that block our relationship with God. And Jesus removed that so we could then have that relationship Now, if you're watching the Champions League game yesterday, well done, Man City, you may have seen very early Kevin De Bruyne was taken off and the substitute Phil Foden came on. Kevin, I can call him that, good friends, Kevin then takes no further part in the game. He can't just run on and score a goal, can he? He can't then, like, uh, take a throw in or if there's a penalty, he can't do that. He's now out of the game. And Jesus' death for our sins substituted himself for us, for the punishment we deserved, but also was a substitute for rituals and procedures that were used in the Old Testament times to get close to God. So those rituals now are off the game, they're off the park. And remember also that Romans, who are being written to in this letter, were used to have lots of things, lots of rituals themselves in their own beliefs, that they need to do to stop the gods, because they believed in lots of gods, didn't they, being angry. So Paul is speaking to those who maybe have had a Jewish tradition, but also those who have got Roman or other traditions that are around, and trying to get in there what was no longer necessary because of who Jesus was and what he did. In fact, with circumcision, there was even in the Old Testament quite a lot of passages, a number of Old Testament passages that talk about circumcision of the heart, not a physical procedure, but about an inward devotion and covenant to God. However, unfortunately, and you can see in the sort of way it's said there about watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, What's happening at the moment is circumcision was being used as a way of telling who was in and who was out. It was being given as almost a you must do this to become a Christian. And some people are actually using it almost a way of going, yeah, you know like you like this Christianity, 
Well, actually, we want you more to follow the Jewish faith, to do that. So some people almost say, this is what you need to be a Christian, but you do need to still do this, 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 that was in the Jewish faith. Others were almost using it as a way of getting people to be Jewish converts by the back door, because that's what they saw as Christianity being. And there are some stories flying about that in some gatherings, remember, they didn't meet in churches like this. It was done in different gatherings. And the church didn't mean like a massive church meeting together or worshipping together. It was the believers in that area. But when there were gatherings, there are some stories that men were expected to show that they were circumcised in order to come in. Now, can you imagine if Rachel asked the stewards to do that? That would be an interesting procedure, wouldn't it? But even more, Philippians 3.2 says this. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This language compares those false teachers to dogs. And in the cultural context of the day, dogs were identified as wild, vicious, homeless animals in the streets. Now, some of you, you've got dogs that are a bit like that to me. Like, oh my goodness, they're leaping at me. Oh, blah, blah. they're baring their teeth. Oh, and you're going, oh, they're lovely. They're going to take my leg off. But when we think of dogs, remember our cultural lenses, we think of like fluffy Labradors, uh, Spaniels, all those things. In those days, most of the dogs were wild, feral, sort of out on the sort of edges of town, and they were not seen in a good way. It was a term of reproach. And in the Old Testament, dogs, again, in Deuteronomy, being used almost as a, oh, it isn't a good way of calling them. And if you weren't sure anyway, they're also called evildoers. They're using their energy, being deceitful, and when... Paul's talking about this because he talks about it in a number of letters because it was an issue, circumcision across uh, the converted world. And he's then comparing them to mutilators of the flesh. So it's not saying you're doing something nice. You're actually mutilating. You're causing huge harm and huge damage. And it's more than outward mutilation. It was actually losing what... It originally was a seal of the covenant between God and people, the Jewish people. It lost that now. It talks about that in Romans 4. So now circumcision isn't needed. It's then when it's happening, it's becoming no more than mutilation here. Now, we do know there are some medical procedures where sometimes circumcision is needed. So please don't suddenly go, oh, Phil said this and it's mutilation. There are some times, and I've got some nurses nodding at me, Occasionally, it is needed for medical purposes. So just be aware of that. But here, when it is being used as a religious purpose, here, that Paul's saying it's not needed anymore in order to gain access to God. It's all about knowing Jesus. And as we start looking at that, the idea of knowing Jesus, this passage has often been used to say, to put Jesus above all the things of the world, like friends, work, football, money, holidays, etc. And there's definitely value in that. Because throughout the, uh, the Bible, it's talking about how God should be our priority. But the point Paul is actually making to the Philippians, 
and he's making that same point to us today, is about knowing Jesus is more important than our faith tradition, our practices, and how we have always expressed our faith in the past. Because there are going to be people there who were circumcised as young people or new people of that, and they're trying to say, well, that's fine, but now that doesn't need to happen in order to know about God. It's all about knowing Jesus. Paul lists in verses 4 to 6 his background, his faith. And he does this in other letters. It's one of the devices he uses. And it's to say, look, as much as people would see, I was a very good believer. I was a very good Jew. But now I think this. And he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Well done, Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day. So he's saying, I was circumcised, but I believe something different now. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He'd have had a very good scorecard, wouldn't he? Tick, tick, tick. Brilliant Jew. He's got the background. He's got the credentials. He was circumcised, as scripture said. Followed the law, as scripture said. And was from an amazing family background. But then he puts the twist in. He says, this is all rubbish. Trash. Garbage. Dung. Those are just by me having a flick through some different translations. That's what it says there. And the term Paul wrote for this trash is from the Greek, sorry if I don't say it right, right scubalong, and used only here in the entire New Testament. The word refers to excrement. <laughs> so we're not just, we're talking about digestive waste, yeah? Feces. The terminology is not vulgar because it happens, but it's extremely strong. English terms such as garbage don't really capture the sharpness of this expression. Most ancient cities had a large ever-burning pile of waste outside the community where trash, filth and garbage were discarded. And Jesus has used that when describing the destiny of the wicked in Matthew 5. And the Christ term was Gehenna, the valley used for trash and filth outside of Jerusalem. In short, Paul is describing his great and noteworthy human achievements that people are going, oh, that's good. I'd like to be like Paul. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. That sounds good. <gasps> He's suddenly put in one of the world's worst pictures he could share with his audience. All that mattered to Paul was Christ. Everything else was not just less value. It was utter garbage. Because in our minds, when we're thinking about garbage, we're talking probably, if you're good, a nice recycling basket where you've washed your cartons and everything's nicely ordered. Then our other bin with, yeah, it's a bit more mucky, but, oh, if I need to get something out of it, I've lost a ring in it, I'll probably have a look. We're talking about muck, pee, poo, all the things you don't really want to get involved in. Paul is saying that old traditions and expectations are in the strongest terms, not something people should be getting into, or specifically when talking about circumcision here. Instead, it is knowing about Jesus. 
you see, there were people who, even though they wanted to know about Jesus, they were playing the wrong game. Imagine going to play basketball dressed as an American footballer. Wouldn't really work, would it? And they were not doing the right thing because some of it was ignorance. Some of it was because of these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh who were deliberately sowing in the wrong thing. But they were doing the wrong thing. Verse 8 and onward says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. When I look at a passage, I like looking at the title. Most of our Bibles, often the message doesn't, but most of the Bibles have a little subheading to help us understand what it's about. In my Bible here, it says the priceless value of knowing Christ. In the NIV, it says no confidence in the flesh. Good news says the true righteousness And in the case of the message, it does actually have a subtitle here. It says, to know him, to know Jesus personally. Now, I like hiking. I haven't always liked hiking. I liked it when I was in Scouts up to the age of about 16. And then recently, I really like it. I've started trying to do the Cornish Coastal Path or the Southwest Coastal Path, trying to do that. And there's a group of us who are doing that together, and we did some of it last summer, probably not as much as we thought we were going to do last summer, and then we're doing more of it this summer. But one of my favourite things to do is, you know you've all got a backpack. I like putting things in other people's backpacks that they weren't expecting. Now, sometimes it might be some rubbish, so let's say we've, um, we've had some sweets or something like that, putting all the rubbish wrappers in there because you shouldn't litter as you go, should they? Other times it might be something heavy like a hammer or the whole tent or something like that. And one, especially when they've had to carry huge amounts of baggage, it's very funny when they're like, getting their pajamas, their sleeping bag out, and they're realising they've carried baggage they didn't need to carry. And this is what is starting to happen in this passage. And hopefully there might be people here who go, actually, Phil said a lot about it's all about knowing Jesus, but maybe there's other baggage I've been carrying. There's that very famous sort of spoken word that um, is often shown, especially around Easter, called That's My King, and where a famous preacher talks about who Jesus is. But one of the things that repeats, like Paul, is, I wonder if you know him. I listened to Piers Morgan the other week. Um, I've done a lot of um, repenting and stuff about that, but he was doing an interview Uh, with a Christian. Now, probably I didn't agree with everything the Christian said either, but Piers Morgan said, I'm a Catholic, and one of the things the Christian was saying was about how Jesus um, forgave for the sins, so instead of saying death, instead of us having death, then we had new life. But Piers Morgan kept honing in on the idea of, you're saying everyone should die. And 
even though he said a number of times, I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic, he actually said, you're saying nonsense here. Which I was like, Piers, you've got it wrong. You are saying that Jesus dying on the cross for the sins, the things that should uh, give us death before God, you're saying that's nonsense. And it did make me think, I don't think he goes all the time to church, but he goes occasionally. He would say he's got that tradition, but it's very easy to be around church tradition and not know Jesus. I'm not going to compare my mom to Piers Morgan, even though they've got very similar chins. <laughs> don't tell her that. That's totally wrong. Hopefully she doesn't know how a podcast works. Um, but she went to church all her life, probably 35, giving a lady who's in a wheelchair a lift home every week from church. And the lady went, when did you become a Christian? And my mum said, I've always been a Christian. And the lady went, no, when did you... When did you say, Jesus, what you did, dying on the cross for me, forgive my sins, thank you. I'm now living with you and I want to know you, but not just know you in theory, know you in practice. And my mum was like, ooh. And it was a total out-of-the-blue experience for her because she knew the songs. She knew the hear our prayers and all the things you had to say. She knew it all. But actually, and she had the experience, but she didn't know Jesus personally. And actually, there may be people here today who we would be surprised. You've been baptised. Maybe you've, uh, we'd go, you've been here longer than anyone. But for you, you'd say, well, actually, I'm here because I like all the trappings of church and Christianity, but do I actually know Jesus why did you come to church today? Was it because you're on a rotor? Was it to see a friend? Was it because you like the songs? Was it because you like biscuits? Was it because that's what you do on a Sunday? None of these are wrong, especially we love biscuits here. They're excellent. But tradition can get in the way of knowing Jesus. We can be sanitised and be following a version of faith where we think things are important and they are not. And even when we're talking about our building on Junction 10, if that's the thing that's most important to your faith, getting in that building and being back on the land, I would suggest, and hopefully no one's got the sniper guns out at me at the moment, but if, if that is more important than knowing Jesus for how your faith develops, then I'd suggest maybe you're looking at things through the wrong lens. There are things and traditions that can really help us know Jesus, help other people know Jesus, but there are other things that can be blockages. Paul is telling the Philippians that knowing Jesus is more important, and he is telling us that today. If you were here earlier, firstly, you knew about the prize draw where you can win a million pounds. That's just for those who came late, so they start panicking, going, oh, we shouldn't come late again. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> if you were here earlier, you'd have seen the video where we're looking at the I am statements. 
And this is a great chance for us to go back to some real core teaching. But as Will said, in, in an accessible way. For us, don't just think, oh, it's, it's for non-believers, I'll have a chill this summer. Actually, there'll be a lot of us learning about who Jesus is that I think will be really relevant. But think about who you can bring. Shorter sermons, special summary snacks. But most important, the message it is, is all about knowing Jesus. Now, in conclusion... Hopefully you know today that my talk really has one point and one point only, which is it is all about a well done. Because actually last week I was challenged, was at a training weekend, and they said sometimes we do three points in sermons. No one can tell you the three points. But hopefully if you can go away and say today that the sermon is all about knowing Jesus That'll help you as you go into Philippians 3, as you understand more about it. Don't just take my word for it. Don't take Rachel's, Kev's, Will, Vicky, Joe, anyone who's preaching. Please go into it. Look at it in your own version. Really pull out what is being said. But here, that's the most important thing. It's all about knowing Jesus. I like going walking in a forest and woods and Sutton Park is one I know fairly well. But if I go walking or occasionally running in Cannock Chase or somewhere else less familiar, it's easy to lose track of where you are and if you're going in the right way. And there's a story of a runner who asked another runner if they're going the right way and he said, yep, really confidently. The other runner looked very doubtful and the one giving the directions quickly said, don't worry, I've tried all the wrong routes, but that's part of the journey. So don't worry, we've all, we've all sometimes strayed from this idea of it's all about knowing Jesus. It can be really, really um, apt description of our spiritual journey. Hopefully, we want it to be all about knowing Jesus, but many times we stray from God, give in to temptation, get distracted by life, and make the wrong thing the priority. God knows our tendency to go down the wrong path, but wants us to forgive us and continue his work of having the Spirit transform us. Remember I said Paul visited Philippi and was in prison, and then like in the famous song, his chains fell off, but they didn't go. And the jailer who saw this, saw the power of what had happened, said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You can read that in Acts 16. However, that's simple to say. That's the beginning of the journey. Paul got things wrong himself. But he knew he had this desire to know Jesus. And this slightly straying into Sue's verses next week says this. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on. Part of knowing Jesus is allowing him to walk with us even in our mistakes. And when we've not focused on him previously, he refines us. And his grace allows us to press on as forgiven children. If the band can come back up, let's stand as we pray.
Thank you, God, for that simple message that you want to know us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did to get rid of the rubbish that stands between you and us. Help us to focus on what matters and do away with the things that are not needed. Help people today have a clear image of who you are and how you want to work in our lives. Amen. One of our things as a church is we want to be a community, but with Jesus at the centre. Knowing Jesus, the most important, that that community part points towards Jesus. And we're going to sing an older song. Some of you may know it. If you don't, it's very simple words, very simple tune. It's about the idea of knowing Jesus, there is no greater thing. But actually, like some of the songs that Will and the team so brilliantly led us through today, the words are easy to sing, but actually they're quite profound. There's some promises going on there. So as you sing, don't just use it as a few minutes before the end. Use it to promise before God. But if you feel you can't do that, maybe start some work and go, well, why can't I? What do I need to sort out? What do I need to get out of the way for me to sing? Knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. If you do need to talk to someone, there are people around, we'd be more than happy to chat with you at the end. People who brought you or you know, we'd be more happy to talk to you and pray with you if needed. But just use this song as a time of devotion to God, but also a time to maybe think, well, what do I need to do to be able to sing these words in spirit and truth. Thank you, team.